right, Mosaic, would you come back to your seats? I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I read our passage for the day. When I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will respond with, thanks be to God. This is Luke 8, 26 through 39. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, um, thank you for these words that we get to declare to you, to one another, to the world around us. Thank you for the hope that they represent. Today, as we, uh, as we consider your authority, your power, and your dominion in this world around us, I pray that it would stir and rise faith in us, that it would stir and rise confidence and hope to know that you are king over all. We are your people. And so today, we declare your goodness. We declare you as king over this place, over our lives, over our city. We love you. We bless you in your name. Amen. And go ahead and grab a seat. So, the year is 1989. I'm, uh, I'm eight years old, and there is a movie that had previously been on the big screen and now has been released on VHS that I really, really want to see, myself and my siblings. And so it finally comes to the video store, and I'm quite excited. My siblings, who are older than me, they go and rent it, 
and we're going to watch it, and my parents tell me, absolutely, you're not watching this movie. Now, the movie is about a, a doll who is two feet tall named Chucky, who gets possessed by an evil spirit, and then mayhem murder ensues. It's a ridiculous premise. I accept that. But at eight, for some twisted reason, <clears throat> I really, really wanted to watch this movie. So Friday night came. My siblings rent Child's Play, the movie. Um, they are getting ready to watch it. It's bedtime for me. My parents go to bed. There's popcorn popping, popping, and they start the movie. And as my parents are going to bed and going to sleep, I sneak out of my room, tiptoe down the hallway, hide behind the furniture, and I watched the entire movie. It terrified me. It was scarring, and I can't believe I watched it. It was the worst thing I could have done. It completely shaped even the early thoughts I had about evil, darkness, and spirituality. Now, of course, as parents do, they what? They find out. The next day, when it's bedtime, I don't want to go into my room. I don't want to go to bed. I'm a little bit nervous, and they suss out pretty quick. Oh, you, you snuck in. You watched this movie, didn't you? So they, they pull me aside, and they say, son... We're very disappointed. There's reasons we have boundaries in your life, and there's reasons, and we care for you. No, they, they didn't do any of that. They went to their parenting toolbox and picked a different tool to parent by. Because it just so happens, I also had a doll that I was given when I was much younger called a My Buddy doll. Any people from the 80s remember My Buddy? The thing with My Buddy and Chucky is there was a lot of similarities in the ways that they looked. One, if they weren't careful, could mistake one for the other. So my parents went to their parenting toolbox, and they said, this is the lesson we're going to teach our son. And they waited until I was in the most vulnerable of moments, in the shower. And they wanted to make this a family affair, so they invited all of my siblings. And they go to the shower, and they open the door, and my dad has a very long stick that he walks the doll on, as my sister is making this cackling sound, I tore down the shower curtain, went running, screaming through the house in absolute terror and panic. Yes, this explains a lot of who I am today. <laughs> so it's, it's these kinds of stories, things conjured up in Hollywood, maybe around campfires with teenagers, ghost, ghost stories, spooky stories. It's these kinds of things that often for us, paint the picture that we see when we hear the story we heard read just a few moments ago. It's not a, a, a usual thing in our context to think about spirituality in this way, apart from maybe a horror film or a ghost story. And yet, Luke includes this story for a very specific reason and purpose. And this story, even though on the outside it might seem like a horror story or, or something of that nature, this story is actually about hope and redemption and the power of God. We're going to walk through this story in the next few moments, and, and there's, there's three truths that I, I think that we're going to hear. This first truth is, is about Jesus. This truth that, that he has authority over everything. Right, Leading up to this moment in Luke chapter 8, We've seen him heal. We've seen him raise the dead. Last week, we even heard a story where the wind and the waves obeyed his very words. He had authority over nature, and, and we're going to see his authority displayed 
even in the spirit realm. This truth of Jesus' authority. The second truth is, is about our, our world, that, that we live in a physical world that we can see and touch and hear and that we understand. And, and there's a lot of that that makes sense in our minds, and, and we like to make sense of things that we can touch and see and, and, and smell and understand. And yet, the truth is, we, we also live in a spiritual world. And part of living in a spiritual world is the, the, the presence of evil. The story reveals that as a fact, as a truth. And the story isn't revealing that so that it can stir fear in our hearts, but rather to stir awareness and to turn us back to the authority over all things. The third truth that, that we're going to hear in this story is actually about us. But like, like the world, we too are physical. We have bodies. We have emotions, we have thoughts, we have personalities, we're unique in all these things, and we're spiritual beings. We might not often think of ourselves in that way, but we were given, we were birthed with a spirit that God has placed within us. These three truths about Jesus, about the world, and about us, the spirit that we've been given to steward my desire for us today as we walk through this story that we are seeing with greater clarity our own spiritual reality and where Jesus meets us with his authority to bring hope, healing, encouragement, and a future. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 26. This is the story. It says, they, this is Jesus and his disciples, they sailed to the region of Gerenesis, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes but lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. So the context of this story, Jesus with his disciples, has left the land of Galilee, and they're going over the, the, the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake. Um, and, and previous to this, there had been the, the large storm that, that Jesus tells the wind and the waves to stop, and, and the, the lake becomes calm once again. Uh, Matthew's account of this story says that they, they left actually in the evening, and so it's very likely as they're sailing across to this new land or this different land, they're arriving in the evening or, or even in the dark hours of the day. And so they go, and, and Jesus calms the, the natural storm only to be met with a spiritual storm. And it says that the moment that he steps foot on this land, this person, this man, confronts him. This man who has been uh, afflicted and controlled by these evil spirits, whose life has been absolutely shipwrecked by the condition that he finds himself in, the condition of his spirit, that he is afflicted and controlled. And it says that he has been stripped. He's, he's not wearing clothes, but he's also been stripped of his humanity and his dignity. He's outside his mind. He's living amongst the dead in isolation. And he has an encounter with Jesus. So it continues in verse 28. And Jesus displays his authority 
It says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the, the demon into solitary places. A display of Jesus' authority over all things, even these spirits, even these demons. As he steps foot, he's confronted by this man, and out of this man, the voice of demons says, what do you want with us, son of the most high God? The even evil spirit in our world recognizes who Jesus is. They testify and proclaim who he is to the extent that maybe even his disciples don't know that he is the son of God yet or believe that he's the son of God. Yet in this moment, his authority, his authority is claimed even by these demons. He has authority over all aspects of creation. We think about this, this word authority, we, we tend to associate it either with something hierarchical, like, like people in our society who have authority or who represent the law, or we think about it in terms of power, but it's actually a, a pretty broad definition. When we think about authority, it is those things. It's people who have hierarchical power, who have been given power. It's, it is people who have power over a situation or over a people but authority also represents understanding and perspective and clarity. And Jesus has that over the Spirit. That he knows, that he understands, that he has clarity. He is an authority over all aspects of our lives. Our body, the world around us, nature around us, and our spirit. He is an authority. This, this coming week, I'm going to um, be doing something that's a little bit rare for me. I'm going to be going to visit the doctor. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, decided it was time to have my own uh, kind of family practice doctor. I've, I've never actually had one before. Now I'm a grown-up, so it's time to do it. And so I called them and said, hey, I'd like to come in. Um, I guess I probably need a checkup. And they said, when's the last time you did, had a checkup? And I thought about it and said, it's been 17 years. And they laughed and said, yeah, you should probably, you should probably come on by. It's, it's time. And so I, I signed up and I answered their questions. And they said, you're going to be seeing this doctor. And I said, great. And they, they emailed me a picture of this doctor. And I was like, do they have their driver's license yet? They look really young. Are you sure? Okay, this is my doctor now, and I'm going to be seeing this guy on Wednesday. And, and here's what I'm anticipating for this visit. I'm going to go see this guy, and, and in front of his name, he has these two letters, DR. And they represent something, right? They represent uh, schooling that he has gone through. They represent years and years of his life that he's invested in education, learning about the human body. They represent um, credentials from, our, uh, from the state of Washington that recognizes he's achieved this level of understanding and we have placed this confidence in him. So this is his title. And when it comes to the physical body, 
he is an authority. He knows things. He knows more about my body than I know. And so I'm anticipating going this Wednesday, having a conversation, and him at the end saying, okay, do more of this, do less of this, don't do any of this, here's what you need to do for this, here's how you to control this, and this and this, and, and he is going to give me advice based on his understanding and his authority. And when we're presented with authority, we have one of two ways that we can respond. We can either submit and say, okay, I, I am going to come under your authority. I'm going to defer to your knowledge, your understanding, because you have more perspective, you have more power, you have more clarity and understanding. So I'm going to submit or I'm going to rebel. You have authority, but I am choosing not to listen and not to follow, and I'm going to do my own thing. Now, there, there's a caveat to this, that there is times in our life where there is unju unjust uh, authority, and, and rebellion is absolutely the correct response. But by and large, in our lives, whether with the doctor or, or to the, the son of the most high God, when we choose the latter, when we choose to rebel against authority, it usually ends up just hurting us. My doctor is going to have a diet plan for me, and I can say thanks for your diet plan and all your vegetables. I'm going to eat hot wings three meals a day for the rest of my life. At the end of the day, that's really just going to affect me, right? Jesus has spiritual authority over you and over me. And the question remains for us, do we choose to submit to his authority, his lordship, and defer to him and his knowledge, or do we choose to rebel, choose to live differently? Paul, in the, in the book of Ephesians, he writes this, and this is uh, in Ephesians 1, starting at 17, and, and it kind of encapsulates Jesus' authority over all things. And, and it's actually a prayer that he's writing to people who are just like you and me, who are wanting to follow after Jesus, who are learning to follow after Jesus. And listen to the prayer that he has for us. Starting in verse 17. I keep asking that the God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul's prayer is that we are understanding this to a greater degree, more and more. The eyes of our heart being open to this reality. He exerted when Christ, when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God has placed all things under the authority of Jesus, including you and I. Jesus has, has authority and invites us to follow and submit. 
This story in Luke reveals Jesus has authority. It goes on in Luke 8, in verse 30, this conversation now that Jesus has with this man. It says, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. This, this term abyss uh, means a, a place that is nowhere, essentially a place of non-existence. And a large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. And the demon begged Jesus to let him go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. And the herd rushed down a steep bank into the lake and was drowned. This is a weird part of the story. Right? Jesus is having an interaction with this this cluster of demons who identifies as, as legion because they are many. And they ask Jesus not to throw them into the abyss, but to send them into a herd of pigs that are nearby. I've heard this story a great number of times. I've heard it taught on. I read four commentaries this week, and no one's really sure why Jesus did this. Some of the ideas that I, I thought were, were pretty inspiring was that, that, that Jesus was actually showing the harm and danger of these spirits by allowing them to go and, and put on full display their destructive behavior and nature. To go into these pigs and drive these pigs into the water where they all drown. Can you imagine the scene? It's probably nighttime at, at this point and there's people watching after these pigs and they see this guy who is, who is full of demons and has been under guard and they're probably afraid of him and he goes running at Jesus and they're having this conversation and then the pigs just go wild and jump into the water. Just take a moment and let that sink in. That's quite a wild story. Yet, what isn't lost in this story is that this man has been set free from evil, from these spirits that exist in our world. And that's a reality that, that I don't think about often, and I don't like to think about often, but, but the truth is there is evil present in our world. And, and that term, evil, might for you, like it did for me when I was eight, conjure ideas that were born in studios in Hollywood or stories that you've heard. But, but truthfully, truthfully, the definition of evil, of pure evil, is the absence of love. First John tells us that God is love. We define what love is by understanding God's nature. And where that is not present, we find evil. This is present in our world. Again, back in, in Ephesians, Paul writes again, and this is in chapter 6, starting in, in verse 10, and, and he is uh, letting the, the, this audience, the church of Ephesus, know and creating awareness so that they will understand these, these spiritual uh, realities going on in their world. And he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is creating awareness in this church. These people who endeavor to follow after Jesus to make them aware that, that these are enemies of God and they are present in the world. 
and we are called to stand against. That we are called to be people who are spiritually aware, who defer and submit to our king who has spiritual authority and to follow after him as we steward our spirits. Now I find as, as, I, as I think about what this looks like in our lives, I, I, I've experienced in my life a couple of ditches of, of, of extremes that, that I can get stuck in. One ditch can be that everything is spiritual, but it never actually leads to actions, right? Everything is assigned to spiritual realities. Everything's assigned to, oh man, that, 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 this is evil, this has happened because of a spiritual reality, but, but there's never actually actions in my life. There's not steps taken. The other, the other ditch that I've, I've experienced getting stuck in is where nothing is spiritual. Everything has a solution and an answer, and if we work hard enough, we can solve all of these issues. And that logic would have never worked for the poor man in this story. He needed spiritual authority to come and redeem and save him. And so in this, we're invited to be people who are spiritual, who defer to our spiritual authority in Jesus, but then live it out with the actions and the rhythms and the habits of our life. Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, after telling about the spiritual realities of the world that they find themselves in, he says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. His instruction to them is to steward their own spirits. The imagery in this, um, it, it, it's, it's a little heavy, right? I don't typically think about uh, swords and shields and helmets and breastplates and, and those kinds of things. Like, I, I, I don't typically uh, have a lot of, of parallels to that in my life. And, and Paul is writing to people who probably did, who saw Roman centurions and soldiers all the time walking around. So as Paul is saying, oh, yes, it's like the, the breastplate, and it's like a sword. They're looking at someone who's probably wearing those things. And, and maybe if Paul was writing this to us in Portland in 2022, he would have chose a different profession. It would have been maybe a barista, the, the satchel of faith, and the Doc Martens of peace. Of, you know. So there, there's a parallel for them, but, but I think... I think Paul is using this analogy to create a, a heightened awareness that if we choose to follow after Jesus, we will experience resistance. We'll experience this relationally. We'll experience this with, within ourselves because my, my flesh, Paul writes about this, oftentimes wants to do what my spirit knows isn't better, wants to rebel from the authority of Jesus rather than to submit and we experience spiritual resistance. And Paul is saying, lead yourself. Be ready. There's evil present in this world, and God has placed a spirit within you, so steward 
your spirit. Lead yourself. In Colossians 1, verse 2, listen to these words. It says, or chapter 2, verse 6, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. God has gifted us and placed within us a spirit. And we are called, we are called to steward that spirit. Man, the, the condition of our spirit matters greatly. Think about your physical body. As you care for your physical body, you are actually able to experience and do more things. The condition of our spirit, it matters in how we experience and know God. Here's just a few examples that you'll see up here. Our spirit is where God leads and restores us where we experience God leading us as a shepherd and restoring our hearts. Our spirit is where God continually reveals who he is to greater extents and ongoing revelation of who he is. It's where God reveals wisdom and clarity for living. That his spirit resides within us and leads our spirit and how we should live and conduct our lives and even choices that we make. Our spirit is where God gives us identities as his sons and his daughters. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit, his spirit testifies not just with our intellect. He testifies with our spirit that we are sons and daughters. That we are moored to our faith because his spirit is testifying with our spirit. We've been given a spirit to steward. So a question that pretty naturally comes out then before us is what's, what's the condition of our spirit? Where do we find ourselves? As we're, we're here listening, we're at home, we think about that. What's, what's the condition of our own spirit within us? Are we aware that the habits of my life, are they leading me into health? Are the rhythms of my life building up that spirit? In preparation for my, my doctor's visit, I had to go online to this app. That's how we do it now. And there's all these questions and things. And then eventually there's going to be a my fitness plan. And my doctor and I are going to sit down. And it's supposed to be like this all-encompassing about my emotional health and my diet and, and exercise and all these things. And it's going to be a fitness plan that I can execute into my life. And if, if I live out these rhythms based on his help because he's an authority on, on the physical body, it's, it's going to go well for me. We'll see. I'll let you know. What's, what's the fitness plan for your spirit? Because left to our own devices, without intentionality, without leading ourselves, I know what that does to my physical body. I think it does something pretty similar to my spirit. What's the rhythms that we've invited into our lives? Things like the sword of the spirit, 
Things like praying continually. Things like the discipline of being in community with one another and being known and encouraging one another towards Christ. These rhythms that bring health and vibrancy to our spirit. It begins with desire. Desire is a, a, a pretty powerful thing. We don't actually change until we desire to change. And the thing about, about desire is we, we can actually ask God to give us desire to know him more. It's a pretty powerful prayer, and I will, will give you a little warning if you're going to pray that prayer. Oftentimes, how God leads us to create desire to know him more is by disrupting our lives what feels like growing doubt, what feels like insecurity and instability is actually God creating a desire in us to know him more, to be dissatisfied with what we have and to push and to know him more. Ruth Haley Barton says, your desire for more of God than you have right now, your longing for love, your need for deeper levels of spiritual transformation than you have experienced so far is the truest thing about you. You might think that your woundedness or your sinfulness is the truest thing about you, or your giftedness or your personality type or your job somehow define you, but in reality, it is your desire for God and your capacity to reach for more relationship with God that is the deepest essence of who you are. We begin with desire that becomes actions, that becomes the rhythms of our life, to steward the Spirit, that God has placed in us by submitting to him, Jesus, as king. The story that we're reading, it, it concludes with, with really two outcomes. One being this man who is set free, who had been living a life of absolute misery and torment. And in a moment with the Son of God, he is set free. He wants to follow Jesus. He's trying to climb in the boat as Jesus and his disciples are leaving and Jesus tells him, no, 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 no. Man, I, I'm telling a great story through you. I want you to go back to your home. I want them to see you in your right mind, healed. Go. That's one outcome. The other outcome are people who see what has happened, who are maybe a little mad about their pigs. And their response is, is fear. Their response is actually to be more afraid of Jesus, who has this spiritual authority, than they were of the demon-possessed man that they had to actually guard and chain down. And rather than submitting to this spiritual authority, they say, will you please leave? Just go. So as our, our band comes up today, and we get ready to take communion, we're actually presented with that same decision. to think about the authority of Jesus in our lives. And the authority of Jesus is not under my control. There's parts of that that, that are scary. They're difficult for me, difficult for you. And to choose, do we submit to this authority? Do we submit the care of our spirits, the care of our hearts to the authority over all things? Follow him leading or following his leading in direction of how to actually steward our own spirits or do we choose our own path 
and find hard lesson and destruction over and over again. The story reveals these truths, that Jesus is powerful, that though we find ourselves in a world where evil exists and we feel at risk of being spiritual people in that reality, we can defer to his authority and his leading in our life. If you're here in this place, we're going to worship by going to the table and taking communion. If you're at home, um, find, find whatever you have to, to suffice as elements. And we're going we're gonna to take these elements, the bread and the juice that represents his body, it represents his blood broken and given for us. And as we take these, in 1 Corinthians 11, it says we take them professing, professing his death is our reason for hope. As we go to the table and take communion, it's a form of submitting, submitting our future and our hope to him and worshiping him. And as we're, we're doing this, as we're going to the table and we're going to begin to sing, we're going to sing of this Jesus and of his authority, of his power and love in our life, I also want us to ask that question. How am I leading myself to steward my spirit? Man, is the, is the desire in me to grow and to know more of God? Is that desire giving way to actions? Is that those actions giving way to habits and rhythms within my life? Jesus, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story. Um, thank you for what you reveal about yourself, uh, your, your power demonstrated in love for this person, and ultimately through the cross, love for all humanity. So today, as we, as we listen to this story, we, we respond with faithfulness by submitting to you through communion, by submitting to you through the ways that we conduct and lead our lives and steward the soul that you've placed within us. To be a people who are not passive, who are not far off, but who are close to you, listening to your guiding and your leading following after you. We thank you, Lord, in your name.